Tracy. Okay, so a very good morning, everybody. I'm hoping that Eric can hear me from the frozen wastes of Albia up here um, near Denia. It's um, bright. It's definitely a bit cooler, which makes life a little bit easier for everybody. So uh, straight away then down to the frozen wastes. And good morning to you, Eric. How's your weather down there? Uh, good morning, Vincent. The weather is absolutely perfect. Uh, these are what I call good English summer days, you know, and... Uh, it's just nice. That's spot on now. Beautiful. Not too hot, not too cold. Yeah, spot on. Okay, so uh, we've got over the excitements of last week. Uh, big birthday for you. Mm. Um, big problems for various technologies. So hopefully we can <laughs> now look ahead and see if things can get back to normal. Although uh, normal doesn't mean too much anywhere at the moment. I mean, if I look at Newcastle, um, they, of course, have um. just been taken over. So... Uh, I think both of us would agree it's a huge club and it needed something uh, to happen. Um, Mike Ashley has been sort of beleaguered, to say the least. And I think people do forget that, um, that these guys do put a lot of money in the club, but he's had a lot of criticism. So what's your take on the whole situation? Well, first of all, I think the Newcastle fans are a great, you know, really good supporters over the years. I can remember when I first started watching football, Newcastle fans, it was a pleasure to go down to St. James's Park and also when they used to come to our place at Main Road. Good fun, good banter, really good supporters and knowledgeable as well. Uh, not like we've got some nowadays, you know, where they, well, I'm not going to go on about certain clubs, but you know, they're a bit thick, some of them. But anyway, uh, Newcastle, the club itself, I mean, he did put some money in it. The trouble is, it, it, it didn't take to him because it was like coming from London and he was calling them all, you know, we brought in uh, his number two, well, not number two, or to overrun the club and that was the little lad who used to play for Chelsea, can't remember his name now. And uh, overall, it, 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 it was like as if London was taking over Newcastle and I think that was the, one of the big things at the very beginning when he first went down there. So, uh, yeah, it... It's, it's been they've been going backwards don't they that's the problem with Newcastle I've, I, everybody else is moving on I mean you got relegated then he got back straight away under Benitez nobody expected Benitez to stay when he got relegated but he did and brought them back they've had a, a series of blinking uh, uh, managers and none of them really have hit, hit the heights really uh, Benitez was playing up the kind of football he wanted to play they've been brought up on the, the Jackie Mill days and Kevin Keegan you know when Newcastle was attack 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 you know we used to Ginola people like that and now they were being fed kind of stuff defensive football and all these kind of things didn't help kind of so I reckon now that hopefully they'll get it all sorted out they've got the money and it's up to them now the only trouble is you've got to have the right people making the right decisions now getting the right manager in getting the right players in it's going to take time Man City didn't happen overnight, you know. We had about three or four managers before Pep got there. But it takes time. Just remind me about those days, because I've forgotten a little bit. Who did you have in? For City, well, originally it was Mark Hughes. He, he came in. Uh, we, then we had uh, Mancini. And then before Pep, we had uh, Pellegrini. You know, they were, so we'd had uh, three managers. Joe Royal was there originally before, uh, before Mark Hughes, but... He wasn't in there when we had the money. You know, it's when the money come in and uh, he was one pushed out to let Mark Hughes come in and Mark Hughes was pushed out to let Mancini come in and so on. And so it was a progress of doing well and, and setting up the team. You know, like Mancini did a great job for City. Apart from winning the league, I mean, on that famous day when Aguero scored that goal in the 99th minute or whatever it was, it was a fantastic time for Man City supporters well it didn't just happen overnight so I say to Newcastle fans be patient because it takes time to work everything out and now obviously we're at the top now we've been at the top for the last well we've won the league for three out of the last four seasons Man City so it just takes time so I just have to be patient because they do talk about it being um as one of the great clubs and basically you know it's like it seem it does seem to be quite uh, sad to 
to see a great club like that languishing when you look at all those great names that you mentioned before and the history of uh, of that area of um, Britain and England's great heritage when it comes to football. And I think um, sometimes we need to think, why are the fans, um, or not so much fans, it seems to be other people, involved in uh, the purchasing of clubs by the Saudis. Why do you think really that there's this little undercurrent of uh, why people aren't very happy about it? Well, because people, particularly the ones at the top, they want to keep their place at the top table. And it, it, if Newcastle comes along and takes one of their places, I mean, we've already seen Arsenal and Tottenham drop out of the top four now. And will they ever get back in? We don't know, do we? So they're the kind of clubs that are massive as well over the years. Look at Tottenham, they've got a fantastic ground now. But unfortunately, they've not got uh, the, the team to go with it. And the same thing happened at Arsenal when they moved to their new ground. You know, they they lost a lot of the top players. And I think maybe it drains them on the money, I'm not sure. So New, Newcastle's already got a good setup down there, haven't they? You know, it's a big ground, they've got support, they've got everything. They've got, they, They'll never move their ground, I, I wouldn't imagine so. Because it's right in the middle of the city. Have you ever been to Newcastle? Oh, you yes. You just come out yeah, the railway yeah. station and then you just walk up the hill and there it is. Well, it's well, standing right in front of you, a massive ground. I remember going up to... Um, I'd just taken on a rep when I was working in, uh, in a management job and uh, he was a Newcastle fan and his missus was a Sunderland fan. And, you know, they were sort of explaining to me uh, the, uh, the certain parts of their lives which um, they seem to don't talk about and, you know, keep away from each other while the match is on, that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is, it, it is a, a great sort of uh, heritage. Uh, if you come from that part of the world, you're either Sunderland on one side of the river or Newcastle on the other. And, of course, that very famous bridge that everybody sees um, yeah. is synonymous with Newcastle and, I suppose, really with Sunderland to a lesser degree. Let me just um, ask you about this lady now. Uh, who is this lady that's involved with the football club and what do we know about well, her? Uh, she's kind of a, an agent who represents, well, in this case, the, the Arabs. You know, she's representing them, doing the negotiating with, well what would be their manager at the time, not the manager, uh, the lad who is in charge in Newcastle. She's, she's kind of the in, inter, inter, in, in between, you know, sorting things out, what they need to the, do. And the intermediary. She's a negotiator, you know. The intermediary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she's a few to say. <laughs> no, it's it. but that's what she does. And she, she's been doing, I think, there was another club here who did the same thing for quite a bit ago, but I can't remember the name of the club now. But she'd done it before, so it's not like something new to her. She's quite adept at being able to do negotiations and set things up. And really, when you think about it, it was all set up originally a few years ago. And what happened was it was a Premier League that knocked them back, you know, because they didn't want them to be taken over, which was a bit naughty, really, because they'd already let certain people take over clubs, you know, because of the background of where they come from, you know, the way they they treat women in that country and help to chop heads off and oh you know it so that was one of the reasons but now they promised the the people or the premier league that all that will not be run by the government of that country it'll be run by this whoever's in charge well so i'm, I'm reading they got through it this time i'm reading here the premier league may soon regret allowing the takeover um mm. it's because um well uh Michael McCarthy, apparently here is writing, says it shows how little power fans have. Michael Heron believes money has rotted the game. And Dr. Chris Houghton suggests a visit to Saudi Arabia by the Toon Army. What, would they, what do you think they'd make of the Toon Army if they turned up in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> it won't last very long, I wouldn't imagine, you know. But uh, these people... Um, you got people saying, well, it shouldn't be allowed into our country and all that. But the government does deals with these places like Qatar and World Cups in Qatar, all these Arab countries around there. So why should football suffer? Because of the fact the governments are all doing what they want with these countries. So it, I, I don't mind them coming in. It's, it, what they do in their own country is their little cow. We live here in Spain and I never like bullfighting. 
what that's their culture and what it's been like in Spain. And, uh, and we accept it. And if you go to that country, you've got to accept the rules. Yeah, but fair and enough. It's as simple as that. Uh, fair enough with, with Spain. At least they are, they are addressing the bullfighting. Um, this oh, is, yeah. This is a, uh, a guy called um, Barney Ronne, who's been saying English football has reached a particular kind of extreme by agreeing to the Saudi takeover. Um, and uh, the Saudi takeover will cause false morality of football to collapse. Um, the Premier League, in its consideration of the TV purchase, has reportedly seen basic human rights and TV piracy um, with a, a sort of just that they've not bothered sort of about once the piracy issue was resolved, the deal was given the go ahead. And most ordinary people have higher moral standards than the rich and powerful. Normally the rich are very good at motiv uh, navigating the dilemma and don't rub their immorality too much in the faces of the rest of us. But the Premier League has got this one wrong. Amnesty has already condemned the takeover by allowing the arrival of Mohammed bin Salman into football's billionaire boys club. The football authorities have drawn much attention to the amoral ownership model of some of England's biggest clubs. They may soon regret it. Now, I think there's got to be an element of doubt in the um, the minds of the people who, particularly, uh, you know, uh, if, for example, the guy is already under a little bit of duress from his missus when he goes out to a football game because she'll be saying something like, you know, well, the Saudis don't respect women. Now, the thing is, uh, as you say, we're living in Spain, but the people that live in Newcastle are sort of, you know, they must have opinions and they must really have been sort of quite gutted by the fact that uh, eventually it had to go to the Saudis. Well, you look at it, all, these, all these teams now. Uh, we've got Arabs at Manchester City. United and Liverpool, they've got Americans running them. Now, in my opinion, America's one of the worst countries ever. But it's never highlighted on the television or the news, the way they treat people over there in America, the way the Red Indians were treated when they took over America. You know, they've been, all these countries have had to move on. Move on. And uh, therefore, you can go to every country and say, well, they're wrong, they shouldn't have done that. So therefore, once it comes to England, as long as they go with our rules and understand what's going on, I have no no argument about them being, okay. being truthful. Uh, Eric, look, um, I, I you know very often we we do talk about other issues around football, and I think this is a big issue because you can't have all of last year people kneeling down before the games telling us Black Lives Matter, and then we see that you know the Black Lives Matter uh, group is really a left wing group which is out to sort of disrupt the state because the thing is. If you don't investigate these matters, then sooner or later, you know, the game might have no clubs because if this is what they really want to do, then, you know, sooner or later things could go really wrong. I'm reading again here, Newcastle United sale to Saudi uh, Arabia's public investment fund uh, marks a new low in football's corruption by money. And then it goes on to say, the murder of Yamal Khashoggi by Saudi operatives in Turkey in 2018 raises awkward questions for the Premier League and uh, the CIA concluded in November according to authoritative US reporting that Mohammed bin Salman Saudi Arabia's crown prince ordered the murder he's denied it the Sai the same crown priest is, uh, is chairman of the PIF so by default he's coming in and he's having a big influence in what happens in in Newcastle how do, how far do we let these guys go well, everybody, oh, look, look at that, like the other year, Russia. They killed one of the blokes over in England. Nothing's been done about it. We've got a woman who killed a boy on a bicycle, gone, run back to America, and they won't get her back over to face charges for doing it because she was the embassy's uh, her wife. You know, they, it's so corrupt all the way around, and it's no good picking on certain ones because the whole world, in my opinion, is corrupt, particularly at the top. And all we, we can do is... We're like minnows down at the bottom of the ladder, whereby we just got to get on with life and enjoy ourselves as best we can. Because these people, they are vicious, and they, they'll take anybody out when they need to. 
And it's, well, maybe I've seen too many James Bond films, but <laughs> this is a problem, you know what I mean? Well, look, <laughs> you know, the, these people are there, they run the world. And it's not the governments as well. It's people above the governments. Then who supply the government with the money to do what they want, you know. That's why they finish up with these jobs on some company afterwards when he's not an MP anymore because he'd been promised that. But well, that's another story. We're getting too much into politics there, I think. Well, you see, the thing, look, uh, Eric, I, I agree with you. It, it is too deep into politics. But, you see, rather the, the, rather that worries... Um, um, a lot of people, not just uh, this particular podcast, is the fact that the politics really is there all the time. And if we don't sort of somewhere have a line that's drawn, it really just means that it doesn't really matter what anybody does. You just do what you like and nobody is going to be too bothered. I mean, I, I in a football sense, I'm delighted um, that Newcastle have got the chance to go forward I've seen the um, criticisms of um, Mike Ashley. I think it's also been up with the rugby club. I mean, so, you know, Newcastle have had a bad run of indifferent management. But this is something very, very difficult because if you then start getting an influence which is going to make life very difficult for women. Uh, You know, for example, they could come up with a rule that you can't go to the match or something like that. You know, I I don't know. Okay. Yeah, you won't be able to get away with that because it's like our country runs itself. You know, what they do in their country is their business. And that, if people want to pick on that country, then why do we do deals with them and all that? Eh? You know, we, as I said, the governments are all hand in hand with all this. Then we just get the backside of it, you know, where we get the worst part of it. When they have, it, I, all, all I can say is, like you've just said, good luck to Newcastle. And it, I know... We don't know. Remember years ago, when when the old days, when there were about 70,000 people at matches, and I spoke to you about it, what happened to all the money? Well, there was a bloke at Manchester United named Louis Edwards. He was selling bad meat to schools. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. that was never brought up in the papers because the media wasn't there creating problems, like you've often said, that now they're trying to split people. Even now, as this is happening, they're probably trying to split people up in Newcastle. Yeah. Do you know? And as you've said many times, the media now, all they ever do is try and cause diversions to keep things off what people are not noticing. Do you know what I mean? Well, you said it often enough. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Well, I couldn't put it better myself, Eric. Thanks for that. Um, mm. oh. All right, then. Let's, let's go to uh, another issue, which is not Newcastle-related. Let's just wish Newcastle well. Uh, we'll come to Steve Bruce a little later, but let's go to... Uh, this business, of course, of Black Lives Matter. And I don't even remember doing that. This is John Barnes talking in The Guardian uh, near the end of a 90-minute conversation about the deep roots and bruising reality of racism. I asked him about the moment he used his right boot with deft and contemptuous skill to flick a banana off the pitch in a Merseyside derby in 1988. Um and the image of John Barnes brushing aside a miserable racial assault is one of the most famous in the history of English football. Uh, it's funny, I don't even remember that, and I'm a big John Barnes fan, and obviously I really don't want any racism of any sort, like you wouldn't, and no, none of our friends would, you know. Um, but um, John Barnes, it, there's a lot more to him. He's a very eloquent man, and he moves far deep. I'm reading again. He moves far deeper than uh, that snapshot of racism in football to discuss slavery, colonialism and how race remains such a problematic issue at the heart of contemporary society. He doesn't even mention the incident in the book now. Back in Liverpool, he explains why it was remembered by so many people who had not lived his life. Uh, Do you know why? Because it was Liverpool versus Everton in 1988. And, you know... You see, it's funny, either I must have been totally ignorant of these things in those days, or basically um, it it does prove the point that um, the papers are making these things a lot more than really, you know, we basically uh, should be allowing them. Um, The only way, I'm reading again what he's written, the only way to destroy racism is to destroy capitalism. At the same time, he is too much of a pragmatist to suggest some idealised socialist state will suddenly emerge. But isn't it strange, you see, that even John Barnes is talking about um, this business of uh, communism? 
you know, it, 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 it's like really, it's definitely something is behind a lot of what we're seeing, a lot of what we're doing. Um, you know, I do like um, I do like John Barnes, and that surprised me to read that. Um, does it surprise you to see that he said it? Uh, like you said, he's very eloquent, and he comes over exceptionally well when he's discussing not just football, other matters as well, like you just said. But uh, when he was on, on the wing, when, don't, don't forget he was a winger, so he was next to the crowd all the time when he was playing, wasn't he? Yep. So he must have been abused so much terrible up and down the country because there's always somebody in the crowd there ready to have a go because that's how these people cause the problems because it's a big crowd and they can't think they can be noticed nowadays things are different because there's cameras all over the place and all these people can be wheedled out if they want to wheedle them out sometimes i'm not too sure that they do want to get rid of them but they, keep, they have a lot of talking about it but the main thing is going back to john barnes that uh, yeah i think that I, I can't remember that, Matt. You know what? You just said you can't remember him flicking that banana back, can you? I can't. Have you made that one up? I can't. And no, I, mean, I can't the, either. The thing no. is, you know, he obviously must have done it the way it's written. Um, and, I mean, you know, there's so many good things that he says in this article. Of course, it's from a quality paper. So, you know, you do mm. expect to see um, a proper, well-thought-out uh, argument. He, he points out that while outraged attention is paid to verbal racism... The damage caused is less than that done by the silent pillars of prejudice within society. You can't, see or, you can't see or prove this racism. To black people, it's happening every single day of their lives. There are invisible banana skins and unspoken words which are much more damaging. Um, he doesn't believe that wearing a kick-it-out shirt will change anything in the same way the idea of a football exactly. team working off, walking off the pitch would not rip out racism rooted in society. A bus driver doesn't have, doesn't have the option of walking off the bus and saying, I'm not putting up with this. They would be out of work and find that nobody cares about them. Um, so, I mean, he, he does write very, very eloquently. And um, when you see him, he's a nice guy. I, I, he's got lots of good things to say, hasn't he? Yeah, he, like you said, he's a, a spot-on guy. And uh, I mean, I've got a lot of time for him. Some people you, you do listen to because they do speak well. And there's other people who talk such a lot of rubbish. You think to yourself, is he trying to insult my intelligence, this guy? You know, when he's saying something, which is so obvious. But this is really well thought out, what you've just been reading or from that article in the paper. What paper was it? Was it it's uh, The Guardian. Um, and um, they're talking about oh, right, his... Oh, right, fair enough, fair enough. They're talking about him being highly educated and privileged background in Jamaica, where his father was a senior army officer bolstered his self-esteem and meant that when he arrived in England at the age of 12, he could feel justifiably superior to anyone who made racist comments. Now, I can't see a lad yeah. of 12 feeling superior, uh, but he did say, absolutely, it, doesn't, it didn't bother me. The coaches would say, I know they're gunning for you, but that's it. Don't let them think they're getting away, uh, they're getting to you, I would say, but it really doesn't get to me. Um, and us at all this is what the, his coaches were saying um, I, I mean it, it's really that he's chosen to examine and speak about racism and reading again and all forms of prejudice from a wider historical and intellectual perspective um, but as the long struggle grinds on does he ever feel disillusioned and he says I don't get disillusioned because I believe in what I'm doing and many others are doing I only get disillusioned in terms of people just doing the same thing time and time again and not making a difference. But we need to be honest, and at the moment, I don't think we're moving in the right direction. I don't think things will get better until we start making changes from a more educated and deeper perspective. You see, um, he, he's very, very right, and he's very, very uh, intelligent and, and educated in the way that he's put this across. Um, I suppose the problem is you've got somebody like John Barnes reading in The Guardian where very, very few people will read that. And then you've got the likes of what we see on the TV and it's always, you know, black rapping, back black gangsters, in the news, black on black violence. Um, and we've, we tend not to be able to see just how wrong that is because it's a totally devious wrong message that we're being given all the time. 
because like every community you've got very very good people and very very bad people and uh, i think the the sad thing is um you know going down on one knee i don't think has helped the cause that much if i'm honest what, what about you well, like, as we see each week uh, on Match of the Day, they always show that bit before the game. You know, you only get so many minutes, but they're always showing that all the time. Somebody's told them that's what they've got to do. Put that on, you know, the editor who does the programme. They, they've got to go on, you know, where they're all taking the knee. I mean, fortunately, no, there's one or two people who are not taking the knee. I think uh, when England played the other night, the other team didn't uh, they stood up. They didn't go down on the knee. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely people are changing because, honestly, from my point of view, it, I honestly don't think it does anything. If somebody could tell me how it would change somebody's ideas just because they go down on an E, I can't see it myself, as you just said. But people are telling to keep keep doing it, to keep reminding people, well, that's not the answer. I think you've got to go somewhere like... John Barnes said you've got to go into the deeper things of, to sort things out, not like just doing that every week just for the sake of it, you know? I think he's explained to me, um, and I hope that maybe some of this is rubbed off onto yourself and, um, and Rob, who helps us with the podcast uh, on Thursday. Um, you know, I, I try in my own way to uh, bring across a good balanced view of uh, the problems that we all face you know i can't do anything at a supreme level of course i can't but i think just by our podcast being listened to by people who obviously love football like we do who probably have very very moderate views probably very much the same as you and i um hopefully it might well be that we're, we're doing i feel that we're doing something good um, and I loved the fact that John Barnes wrote that article because I think it was very brave of him to insinuate that the the media really need to be a lot more balanced in the way they report these things. Um, let me go to another little thing that, that I spotted, which is all in the same area. And it was this uh, doctorate that Marcus Rashford um, had been conferred. Now, um, it, it's something to me I'd always be... I'm really always fed up when people get honoured or uh, honorary degrees. I understand why people might do it, but I'm somebody that went back and I put seven years of my life into studying. Um, you know, it's a long time. I, I, I always try to sort of keep reading and learning and, and obviously, but it just annoys me that they give these things out. I mean, they, they wouldn't have an honorary first-team player for um, Manchester United, as an example. Um, so, to have somebody given that sort of award, A, I don't like it, and B, I think, really, you know, it's all for the press again. It's all for the media again. Uh, I don't like it in any yeah. sphere. And I think, much as he did a really good job, but, I mean, lots of players in the Premier League are doing good things. Lots of people in society are do doing good things. But you don't get honorary degrees. I don't know why they do this. Because, um, you know, it makes a farce of people who give up their livelihoods and go back to study and try and better themselves in the way that you know um i've outlined it, it's a bit annoying that yeah trouble is with a lot of people or as you just said it's for the newspapers and the highlight of players such as rashford and i didn't blow it out of proportion you know uh, most people in life would do what rashford do if we had the ability you know in a position what he's in you know where he's on the spotlight and the people will pick it up but there's a lot of people who do things and don't, don't even get a mention, as you just said. Plenty of footballers who, who visit hospitals and stuff like that and try and cheer kids up at wards. If you, I know it, it can take all your life. You've got to be careful. But it's just nice to see these things going on because uh, it's just that somebody gets picked on and, like, say, Rashford. I mean, when I talk to my mates who are United fans, oh, Rashford, oh, he's trying to save the world. He is. He's not bothered about football. You know, that's what they say to me about Rashford, their supporters. And I think to myself, yeah, then that's because the papers are building him up to be something he's really not. You know me? I do, and I think that um, you've hit the nail on the head because basically um, he's a great player, he's a lovely player. 
he seems to be a yeah. lovely, lovely guy. There seems to be lots of really nice young black players that uh, we we love to see playing. I mean, in a football sense, in the purest sense, they're great to watch. Um, so let's get it out of uh, let's let let let. This is nothing to do with criticising Marcus Rashford. It's criticising a system that rewards people when there's plenty of other people doing exactly the same. And if it's done exactly. just for political reasons, um, I'm not very happy about that. And I think you feel the same. I'm going to go to something else Correct. that I picked up in the paper as well. The FIFA uh, warning of gambling. Apparently, this is. Um, uh, player packs in, in sports, EA Sports, I think it is. Um, it's like a, a gambling pack that kids can buy. And, of course, I wonder, again, looking at the media, does it come at the same time that we see Paul Merson on the TV, obviously, um, you know, with his problems and demons when he was doing his gambling? Uh, having said that, anything that stops people gambling... Um, I think has got to be worth considering and I think they're probably right in this particular instance so why don't they have a go at source why don't they go and look at the people that make these players uh, sorry these games uh, and why don't we look at the people who are arranging the platform so that people can go and gamble the money and livelihood away that's the that's the big thing isn't it well the problem is with the uh, let's say gambling if you look at football now it, it it relies on the gambling people, you know. Nearly every club has got uh, a lot of slogan on the on the shirt, advertising betting, you know. So, it, you remember when they stopped all advertising of smoking to stop people smoking? Not wrong with that. But if you want to stop people gambling, then get them off the shirts, get them out. But it won't because it, that much money putting into football through these gambling people who make the benefit of the football, by the way, by the gambling. It's that, that's what people gamble on. If your team's playing this week, and I mean, I see teams, some teams that might get 50, uh, 50 to 1 to win, at, say, at Man City or at Liverpool. And then you go, oh, I might put a fiver on that. It's worth it. You might do it, you might not, but it's only a fiver. You know what I mean? And things like that go yeah. on. And uh, I, I, you can't have it always. They, they want to try, they, they try to stop people smoking. Fair enough. It, it's not stop people smoking. Maybe it stops quite a few people smoking. But overall, it hasn't. And it's the same with gambling. These people who run the gambling situation and what you were on about EA Sports, they're the people who are making money out of it. That's why they're doing it. And they pay so much in tax to the government and that's why the government doesn't come out on it mm. so yeah to me it's just a, a thing that it can be stopped if you want to but they don't want to stop it because at the end of the day it's a, a an income to the government in my opinion like, like cigarettes was don't forget to buy a packet of cigarettes now i mean i don't smoke but it don't really affect me but they're so expensive to buy cigarettes now because the government had lost the money of the tax what they were getting from cigarettes originally so the so to get people to put the money up so you can still pay the money to the, the government for taxing I think it's just ridiculous how it works out I think because of the clarity of what you're telling me uh, and the way that I see it is very very similar to yours I think you can see time and time again through what would really in the past have always been criticised as conspiracy theories. I mean, you, you can now see quite clearly in the news that, that you know, uh, they're still trying the best to confuse us with the figures. But I think, you know, they can now see that a lot more people can see maybe a, a different picture than they, that they've been letting us have. Um, let's look at um, some of the things that have been going on on the field because obviously England have had two games um, Wales have had a couple of games as well which were interesting to say the least uh, let's go first of all to uh, England and Andorra and I said before the game and I think everybody would probably agree that England need to get five or six to to really retain their credibility I still feel they were making heavy weather of it. Is it me that's got this wrong? Maybe I'm expecting too much, uh, you know, but I would expect about eight goals against a team like Andorra. Um, obviously, five... Yeah, but he left, left all the players out who normally play for England. You know, compared to the last game England played, he left them all out. Uh, all the top players 
who'd been performing well for England were playing. He basically gave the second string a chance to uh, have a go at Andorra, which uh, obviously at the beginning you could see they were struggling a bit, as you just said. But uh, it, it came out right at the end, 5 0, the final score. But. Uh, he, yep. he, he, gave, he bloodied the other players. Now, I have a friend who, who believes that England should always keep the same team. Say the 15 players and keep that 15 players, not make 11 changes like you see happening in football teams when Carabao Cup comes along. You, you know, you stick with, say, that 15 players and, and, and keep playing them. I mean, if I remember correctly, teams like Italy and all that, they stick with the, the, the lineup of whoever they play. Very rarely you'll see them take, make 10 changes. My honest opinion, and I am not a Southgate fan, I'll be honest, because I think we have now got the best attacking players ever England have ever had for many a year. And he will not pick an attacking team. He'll still play with two holding midfielders, which is out of order. And that is why they struggle a bit more up front. Uh, obviously, the other day, he didn't do that against Andorra because he had Phil Folden in midfield who made a little difference, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's a lad who picks up the ball and goes at defences. And uh, trouble is with Folden, I mean, Guardiola, he, he plays him all over the place. You know, one minute you'll see him on the right wing, next week he'll be on the left wing, then the week after he'll be at centre-forward. Really, his best position is where he played for England the other night in midfield. Him and Colin, uh, they said Colin Bell and Blani, <laughs> uh, Kevin De Bruyne, you know... Uh, those two can pick the ball and run uh, about a hundred yards without looking at the ball. They're looking at players all around. Not a lot of players have got that ability. And we're lucky enough to, well, in Phil Foden, we've got one of the lads who can do that. But I just got the feeling that England, when they played Andorra, it was, it was like a second string 11. And that uh, it, it was always going to be a bit of a walkover, really, wasn't it? Okay. And tonight, Scotland play, Scotland play tonight, don't they? They play in... Uh, Fair Wilds, I mean, they keep saying, oh, we've got to win this one, blammy. You can't beat the Fair Wilds, don't tell me you want to go to World Cup. I'm you know. listening carefully to what you were saying, and I think two things have sprung to my mind. Number one is, if you're Pep Guardiola and any of the other very, very astute managers, you know full well that all these other teams are now sussing out your top top players. So if you play Phil, Phil Foden in the same position every single week they know how to play against him and I think yeah. that's the reason why they rotate the squads and rotate the positions which I don't disagree with I think that's good tactical management the other thing is probably a little bit more controversial because I'm wondering whether or not you have the makings of another little conspiracy theory here because basically if you've got a team coming out of England or any other country but in in England's case because England is a great country there's no two ways about it whether people want to argue about it and all the politics etc etc it's a great country you've got great players but the stumbling block seems to always be the manager's way of running his team Maybe he's being told you've got to do this. You've got to blood new players. You've got to let youngsters come in. Maybe it's not his decision. What do you think of that idea? Well, I, I wouldn't imagine somebody like Guardiola would accept that. A bit like uh, the lad he was at United when he, he got moved on uh, Mourinho. Do you know what I mean? They had, they've done so much in football over the years that I don't think people tell them what to do it might happen down a, a bit lower down in the picking order you know other clubs he might be told to play young guns i mean in in newcastle's case when they, they got rid of like the reserve team and no no teams now have reserves remember it used to call the central league i do remember and that, yeah. it was like a reserve team played every week you know it was a, and they got rid of all that kind of stuff and now it's kind of a an under 21 league i think it is or under 25 so i'm not but quite go, sure going back that. to so that's going back to my suspicion is if you're not one of the outstanding managers and Southgate's still proving himself, you might wonder whether or not there is lots of interference to what he really would prefer to be doing. Because as you say, he just keeps playing defensively and doesn't allow his team, although having said that, 5-0 is quite 
<laughs> quite an attacking formation. Um, but, you know, yeah. you do wonder whether there are people who are interfering so that, you know, you don't get this greatness of your team that always goes out, whatever turns up, you know, that 11 will always get six or seven goals or something like that. It's just a, a slight thought, but it, it doesn't matter anyway. Um, so I think Southgate's a puppet, by the way, for the, for the FA You've okay. got the ideal man there. He's excellent in front of the camera. He talks exceedingly well. And to me, that side of it, he does it brilliant. But on the football side, he hasn't got a clue, honestly. <laughs> but nobody will say anything, you know what I mean? Because he, he, he suits the press. They love him. You know, and once you get him with that, that hierarchy down in London, all the Fleet Street gang, I always call them that, you know, and they, they all think they, they're top-notch people. Uh, and... They have a big say in the England manager. I, I mean, Sam Allardyce got moved on straight away, didn't he? Because of all that. That, that was Saudi Arabia with some uh, Arabs doing a deal with him, wasn't it? Yeah. And we, you get people like Harry Redknapp, who never got a look in, because he, he's known to be Jack the Lad. The only one who's ever made it in England as, as a manager, and I wish he was manager now, is Terry Venable, because he would know how to use these young players now and get them going forward and attacking. And he won't be bothered about the defence, I'll be quite honest with you. I can see Terry Venables with his team. He would be fantastic. But we, I'd say we've just got a manager who's a bit scary. Scary cat, I call him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, if we stay with managers for a minute, and I think it's a good point to bring in now, um, I do feel sorry for the way that Steve Bruce is being managed um, by the club directors i mean by all means he's going to get a big payout so we'll feel less sorry for him once he gets that money in, in his bank balance but he's sort of being humiliated by um what's going on at the moment and you know to, to have to turn up and introduce people and then you know damn well that you're going to be fired and your number two is going to come in and take over till they're ready i mean it's not a good position for him to be in is it yeah, it's a, it's part of the management all nowadays. I mean, that, the lad down at Watford, he's been sacked after about six games. Yeah. Unbelievable. That. And they're not even bottom of the league. They're about 14th in the league. And he's been sacked already. Yeah. Uh, so if, if I was a manager, I'd just be waiting any time now the chop will come. You don't know when or where, but it's just going to happen. It's like paying taxes, isn't it? That's one thing you can be sure of. You're going to have to pay taxes and you're going to have to blink and get the sack sooner or later. It's very rare that managers move on without getting the sack. I mean, somebody like Guardiola has never been sacked. He's always moved on himself because he's good at his job and he's always been at a club who's got money to help him do well. Do you know what I mean? But just having money, like we'll find out with Newcastle, doesn't guarantee your success because of the fact that the money, it's how you use it and if you get the right players in and things like that. And... For Brucey, he's been not lucky because he's, he's been playing with his hands tied behind his back, and he, I mean, you've had injuries as well. That's not helped him. So, yeah, I don't know. It's inevitable it'll get the sack, but it's the same that that goes for any manager, any club. Very few and far between. When you consider that uh, Mourinho has been sacked a couple of times now, aren't he? you know what I mean? He's a he's a, he was a top dog. I don't think he is anymore, but he used to be. And it was okay. It called him the special one, didn't they? Yeah. But nowadays, it's it's very difficult to be a manager and not accept the sack. I mean, even Benitez now, who's at Everton, he's been pushed on a few times as well. Yeah. Because of the style of play, so it's very difficult. And I think that Lucy, uh, like you say, he'll walk away with a few bob. I think like it does, it does damage your reputation though, because when you're going for another job somewhere else, and you got to sell yourself to that other club. You know, they'll say, well, why, what happened there then? And hopefully he'll have a good answer for them, saying that he wasn't allowed to do what he wanted. That is usually the, the excuse of most managers when they move on. Because Mourinho said that, didn't he? He wanted players at Old Trafford to come in and they won't let him do it, the board. So yeah, it, it's, a, it's a combination. Manager and board or whoever's in charge of managers. And there is somebody there most of the time. They have got to get on so well. And that's the trick of making a good club, I think. Yeah, manager and top boardroom level, and if you get a good manager and you get good boards, then you'll have a good club. I mean, you never, I, I couldn't tell you anybody who's on the board at Liverpool. I honestly no, couldn't. Used to be John Moores, didn't it? Uh, but uh, I think yeah, you yeah. know, I think you say it all when you when you say that. Um, 
Look, you don't hear anything about them. That's what I'm saying. You know, that's yeah. a sign of a good club being run, mainly by the manager and whoever he's whoever he is with. You know, they have to liaison. He might say one weekend or so, I think we're struggling a bit left back. Can we have a look around? Let's get in touch with our scouts and see is there anybody out there worth having a go at? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And this must go on in every club, but some clubs keep it quiet. You know. Okay, well, did you find the Nations League final interesting, which, of course, was France and Spain? Um, you know, it, it sort of, I don't know, it just seemed to creep up upon us, that, that particular tournament. And um, Spain, you know, obviously, we taken an interest in the national side. I thought they played very well, really, and I did think that the VAR decision to give France that goal was actually not the right decision. Did you see it, and well, what do you think? Yeah, well, these are the things which you've been talking about for ages, aren't they? The way, uh, conspiracy theory. This VAR, God knows. I honestly don't know how they come up with some of these decisions. And uh, not only just that, that particular one with the offside for the winning goal. It, it's as if, well, you've got to make sure France win with all their star players and the money that they're bringing into the game. I thought he was a, the, the goalkeeper of Belgium. I don't really saw the interview with him. It, but he come on the television and he was saying, all of the interest in is making money. These games are a waste of time, more or less. That's what he was saying. And I agree with him entirely. That, that was a new competition just brought out to bring more money in for the... Uh, well, it'd be FIFA in the case of that one. And it's out of order, you know. He, well, I know the players get well paid and it's easy for us to criticise them for not being able to play every night of the week, you know. But they are only humans when all said and done. And they, they are being pushed and pushed and pushed into playing these games for money, money, money. And that, that is a big problem, isn't it? Money now has absolutely ruined the game. But there's not a lot we can do about it because I believe the game in itself is quite good now. We get great matches. I mean, the recent game, that Scotland game against uh, Israel, that was a cracking game. I don't really watch it. But that no, I, a, I read about real, it. So, yeah. Uh, oh, it was a brilliant game. I, I enjoyed a game of football like that. It was just similar like when City and Liverpool met the other week. You know, they, it just nowadays, it, football is so good that we forget how good it is because it looks so easy on the eye, doesn't mm. it? Well, and I know. You, you forget when the old days, what it used to be like, you know, and now football, the pace of football now, it's incredible. And that is why a lot of officials are getting things wrong. But there's no excuse for VAR to get things wrong. They sat in the studio, you got about six televisions in front of them with six angles of what's happened. And if three people can't come to an agreement on something, it, it, it's bad news. There should always be, in my opinion, a footballer or somebody who knows about football in there. Referees are just referees. They know the laws, but they don't know the game. And that is the problem we've got there without VAR. And also officials on the part. Incidentally, it was a girl referee the other night. Yes, yes, I did see that. Sandora. She did well, actually. See that. Yeah, yeah. I, I often thought, I can imagine women making a good referee. I can't see any reason why they couldn't be good referees, women. I wonder... It's not physical. It's not physical. So long as you pass the fitness test, you know, when you do the running, you've got to be able to cover so many yards in X amount of time. And all they, as long as they pass all that, and, it, and women probably know the rules better than blokes half of the time. <laughs> if you go in a pub and you've got a woman in that pub who knows the football, she'll be ten times better than half the blokes in there, I'll tell you. Because hmm. they, they look at it. And I, I thought it was great to see a woman referee in a game. And I think that's a one of the things for the future well, the I, I do have to say Eric I'm really pleased that your contact from Birmingham City fanzine isn't listening into this because um, <laughs> you know he'll be on the phone to you very yeah. very quickly okay we've got um, just <laughs> around 10 minutes to look ahead to the weekend's games and we'll start at Watford right. um, now Watford obviously will I don't know. Will they provide any sort of clue as to what's going to happen? Because it's always quite difficult in a time of transition. And Liverpool have got um, the three Brazilians. They're not, at the moment, they're not going to be playing. That's the goalkeeper. Um, Alisson won't be there, nor will uh, Fabinho um, and Firmino. So, um, again, it's this ridiculous situation where you're trying to run a premier competition and clubs are going to be losing players left, right and centre. How do you think that one will work out for Liverpool visiting Watford? 
Well, they might. Uh, Watford might just have a, a new manager bounce, you know, because of the it being the first game for uh, their manager taking over. Uh, uh, so that might help them a little bit because up front they're quite good there, Watford, and I don't think Liverpool's defence has been that good this year. What I've seen of it, no. despite Van Dijk coming back, and uh, I, they might be. I can't really see Liverpool losing it because uh, remember the other last season or oh, the year they won the league, they got a good hiding at Watford three none, if I remember correctly. Absolutely and, right. Uh, that was the year when it, yeah. And, uh, so what? It's strange team Watford. I, I can never figure them out. Half of the players I've never really heard of, and then all of a sudden they pop up and oh, blimey, who's this lad called Sar who plays Looks up front, good. and there's somebody called Dennis. Yeah. You know, yeah, they they're quite good up front. So although I expect Liverpool to win mainly because overall they've got a stronger team. And if uh, Alisson doesn't play, the keeper will come in, will take over, he'll do a good job for them. It's just a matter that they, they might just be conceding a couple of goals at Watford, but I think they might get a few. You know, then As long as you've got Salah playing and Manny, you know... So you score, Eric? For Manny... Pardon? Uh, oh, so I'll go 3 on with the pro, or 3-1, I should say. I've got a feeling they'll score. OK, well, I've got a 1-2, so we're on the same page. But uh, I, I would like to see Liverpool starting to play a little better away from home. But uh, then again, uh, Watford are not going to be easy, even whoever's in charge. Villa and Wolves, that's a dodgy one. That's in the Midlands. Um, both yeah, of them are showing the sort of good and bad of uh, both teams. What do you think that one will end up? Well, it's a bit of a derby game, isn't it? Villa and Wolves, the... Uh, there was a lot of rivalry down that end of the woods, and I think that uh, I think Villa will win it. Uh, they, I've just got the feeling they've got a little bit b- better edge over the Wolves. Wolves are still in transition, as you've said before. They've got a new manager. He's been trying. Well, I'll say one thing for him: he's been playing attacking football. He's not going to games playing with a ten-man defence, you know, back four and, and a back four in front of a back four, like you know. So uh, I'd, it'd be nice to see him. Look, that'll probably be a good game, but I'd go two-one. Aston Villa. Okay, uh, the next one is Leicester at home to Manchester United. Leicester, I know they've had injuries, but they've got a lot of problems at the moment. Uh, Manchester United have got a team who, once they click, will play some very good football. I've put them down for Leicester nil, Man United three. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think you'd be far wrong there because United have got a strong forward line and they've got a pretty weak defence now. Their best attacking mode is when they play the long down all down the middle to it, Vardy to chase and uh, and that's their best hope of getting a result or a goal in my opinion. But yeah, I, I'd go United three one. Okay, we go next to your boys, Man City at home to Burnley. Um, it seems to me that every time Burnley play Man City, there's a few goals for Man City. So I'm going four nil. Yeah, well, normally we do have them on the mantelpiece, uh, uh, but it just seems to be their style of play suits Man City, you know. We, but like you said, we, we'll probably be without a couple of players. If the Brazilian lads are not back, we've got our goalkeeper and Jesus up front who uh, won't be able to play. I've not heard of any injuries coming back from the internationals at this moment in time, but... Uh, the one thing about Burnley, they don't have that many players going away on international <laughs> duty, do they? No. So they will have had a good week training and uh, and getting things ready whereas uh, a lot of clubs now have been just we won't come back till today well not today till about Thursday before we can get any work done on the, yeah. on the park we'll wait and see that one but to be fair City should give them a good idea I'll go 5-0 but I hope I'm right for a change <laughs> What was your Leicester Man, Man United prediction Eric? 1-3 one for, one for United 1-3 okay. OK um, Norwich at home to Brighton. Brighton showing some good form. Norwich not really showing an awful lot. I think Brighton should win this one 2 0. Yeah, I've got, I, I, I like Brighton, and I, I think their manager might be the one who get, might get whisked away and took up to Newcastle from Brighton to Newcastle. That's some journey, isn't it? <laughs> but I, he, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not the next Newcastle manager because they'll be looking for somebody young and he's one of the good young managers about at this moment in time but going back to the game I, I just got the feeling that Norwich are, are not far away from getting the first win and last week I, I actually tipped them to, to beat uh, Burnley because I just had the feeling it's coming slowly but surely and, yeah. and this is because I like Brighton I'm going to go for a draw but 
I'm going to go one-one anyway. I've talked myself out of a train of win for Norwich. Well, you've <laughs> you've mentioned Graham Potter going up to Newcastle. I heard a whisper it was going to be Harry Pitt, uh, Harry Potter. But anyway, um, <laughs> Southampton at home yeah, to Leeds. Yeah, Southampton at home yeah. to Leeds. Southampton on the road a lot more menacing. I think this will be a draw, two-two. Uh, Desmond are, are again. Uh, I, I, last week Leeds had to win that game. Well, the other week it's not last week; it's week before. And he had to beat Watford, and he did one 0 They could have been three 0 up before half time, but they didn't take the chances. So I'm going to go for a Leeds win. Yet yeah, I, I have been impressed with Southampton. They're working hard, and but I think they're just lacking a goal scorer, Southampton. And I think that Leeds will just be able to manage this game. I'll go two non Leeds. Okay. Uh, now, big big game coming up. Brentford against Chelsea. Woof, that's going to be a big one because Chelsea, obviously, we all know, we've seen Brentford. They're not going to give up. So, um, I'm going to go for a draw on that one. 2-2. Two, two. Well, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because uh, Brentford have, uh, won't have had that many players going away on international duty. The one person I thought might have been in the England squad, but he never picked him, was that Tony, the lad up front. And uh, so, therefore, I think they will have had a good week training. So, it won't be far off a, a, a result like that. I, I think you might have to go 1 1. It's similar to yourself. Okay. Uh, now we have um, Everton, and they are taking uh, West Ham. And, of course, it's entertaining one of their former managers. I think Everton will win this one 2 1. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, you know, two similar teams this year West Ham and Everton aren't they one yeah. minute they're getting a good result and the week after they're letting themselves down and slipping up drawing uh, I'm going to go for the draw here two, a Desmond yeah 2-2 two, two. I'll go for a Desmond this time ok 2-2 two, two. right so we go to Newcastle now it's going to be a difficult time yeah. for the boys on the pitch but they'll be knowing that they've got to show something they've got to show the metal However, Spurs have also started to show a bit of form. So I'm going to go for um, Newcastle 1, Spurs 2. Right, yeah, well, you can't suddenly make a, a team a better team because you've got money behind you. You know what I mean? It don't improve that on the pitch. It might improve their attitude a bit, but I don't think uh, their attitude has been wrong. Newcastle have been giving it everything every game, what I've seen of them. And they played fairly well, even when he got beat 4-1 at Old Trafford. He uh, had, had a good game, he played well. And it, I, I'm going to go for a draw. I don't normally sit on the fence for games, but I think this will be a draw, a one-all draw. Now, don't forget, predicting the draw is not sitting on the fence. It's showing you that it's going to be very difficult, really, to get a winner from the two teams. There's Arsenal going to host Crystal Palace and once again I think this is going to be 2-2 um, because basically I've seen that Arsenal are beginning to click but Patrick Vieira has got uh, Crystal Palace playing well so 2-2 for me Yeah he's, uh, he's doing a good job there Vieira I'm dead chuffed because uh, I like him I've met him and I know he's a real gentleman as well I mean I mean, I suppose when you're in the dressing room giving team talks, you're not a gentleman if you're giving somebody a rollicking. <laughs> but he is that kind of get a nice bloke. Well, I'm going to go for Arsenal to win this because I like Arteta. In fact, they're two exit players there, aren't they? Or yeah. been part of Manchester City, Arteta and uh, Vieira. Yeah. Uh, you might not be far away with the draw, but I've just got the feeling that Arsenal will win this one. Especially if that Obama angle start getting some goals. I've got my fantasy team and for some reason, ever since he signed a big contract at Arsenal, he's gone backwards and I can't understand it. You know, he, <laughs> it's called, he, he is a goal scorer. It's you know, called relaxing. Scorer, you know what? <laughs> ah, well, it's unbelievable. But anyway, I, I just got the feeling sooner or later he's, he's due for a hat-trick against somebody and it could be this week, but I hope it's not too hard on that Palace. So you're going for a 3-0 then? I'm going for 2-0 actually. I've not won off. <laughs> well, he can't score a hat-trick though. <laughs> All no, right. no, no. But I was, if somebody's going to suffer from him one of these weeks, I tell you. Yeah. OK, well, look, we've got England playing Hungary just as we sign off. I think they'll find this a bit more difficult, but I still think they'll win. I'm going for a 4-2. Um, any thoughts on that one? Well, when England they won four 0 in Hungary, I mean they were frightened to death of England, and uh, unless they did change their attitude, Hungary, 
and, and play attacking football, then uh, I just can't see them doing anything. Uh, it's just a bit of a shame because I saw them early on in them Euros and they had some really good games, you know, against Italy. They, they was in a tough group and that they played some good football, Hungary. Yeah. But, you know, with the crowd behind them, it's a bit different playing at Wembley. So I got to go England. I think Linden win about 3 0. Okay. Right, Eric, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, right, once well. again, uh, we've managed to actually get through it and obviously uh, enjoy the match tonight and enjoy uh, the weekend's football and we'll speak again on Tuesday. Okay, Vince, thanks a lot, mate. Take care.